We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson In Luke chapter 23 Luke tells us when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Tonight I want us for just a moment or two to think about the three crosses that stood on Calvary's hill. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was put to death between two thieves. The Bible speaks of these men as malefactors, criminals. And so I want to begin by first calling attention to what I would call the cross of redemption. The cross of redemption, on that sacred cross, hung a man dying for the sins of the world. So when you look at that central cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was put to death. Jesus, as you well know, was first introduced to the human family back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Following the transgression of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God began bit by bit, piece by piece, unveiling the promised seed, the Redeemer, the one that we know as Jesus. John would later write of him, In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, we have seen and testify that God has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In the Old Testament, those great prophets of God pointed to the coming of Jesus. And the work of Jesus would culminate on Calvary's hill, on Golgotha. And so in Luke chapter 23 verse 33, the very reason why Jesus came into the world is born out, and that is he would be put to death on that central cross. Isaiah, centuries ago, foretold of the body of Jesus that would be prepared in the womb of Mary. Isaiah said that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, would be born of the Virgin. Matthew tells us that the one who was born of Mary was Emmanuel, God with us. And John said in John chapter 1, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Prior to going to the cross, Jesus said on one occasion to God the Father, Now my soul is troubled. And He asked the question, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But He said, For this purpose have I come to this hour. Jesus knew exactly why he came to planet earth. Ultimately, it was to die for the sins of the human family. And so I think about the tremendous sacrifice that was born on Calvary for us. Think for a minute or two about Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to earth willingly, humbly, submissively, bowing to the wishes of the Father, to give himself as the Savior for mankind. 
Isaiah, some seven centuries before Jesus came to earth, asked the question, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And you remember he said in Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he said, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He said, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah writing as if the events on Golgotha had already occurred. God being that sure that his son would accomplish the will that had been placed into his hands. During his ministry, Jesus said, My work is to do the will of him who sent me. In John 6, 38, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And in John chapter 17, Jesus said in the shadow of the cross, many, many years ago, that he had finished the Father's will. That that work had been accomplished. Ultimately, it would have been accomplished, as you well know, on Calvary. Jesus would be raised three days later from the dead. So the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, You have heard the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. The very Son of God left the glories of heaven, came to earth, and gave himself for us. So the tremendous sacrifice made by the Lord. And then what about his suffering? Luke said when they were come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Prior to the events of Calvary, Jesus had stood before Pontius Pilate. And the Bible tells us that Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And yet, rather than release him, he released, according to the wishes of the people, a man by the name of Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a murderer. And the Bible tells us with regard to Jesus, the Son of God, the one who would suffer, bleed, and die for us, that as he stood before Pontius Pilate, orders were given for him to be scourged. And no doubt that was a horrific event. I would imagine Jesus lost quite a bit of blood as he was scourged. The taunts, the mockery, the ridicule, prior to going to Calvary. And then that badly beaten body of Jesus trying to bear the cross outside the walls of Jerusalem to Calvary. And the Bible tells us that Jesus fell beneath the weight of that cross and they compelled a man by the name of Simon of Serene to bear his cross. And I would remind you that Jesus Christ did not have a cross. He bore our cross. And Peter said... For even hereunto were you called that Christ also, listen to him, suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. So I think about Jesus, the Son of God, the tremendous sacrifice that he made, the immense suffering. Peter would say in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, 
that Jesus once suffered for sins. The cruelty of the cross. Historians say that the Romans perfected the cross and the torture that came about as a result of crucifixion. And you can just imagine somebody hanging, suspended between heaven and earth, the difficulty breathing. Well, Jesus is on that central cross. Not only was he willing to be our sacrifice, not only did he suffer for us, but he became our substitute. Peter said, the just for the unjust. Jesus Christ was the just dying for the unjust. Paul said Jesus was the sinless dying for the sinful in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I wonder sometimes if we can truly put into perspective the horrific events associated with Calvary. To think that when Jesus was on that cross, he was our substitute. He was, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. We ought to have been the ones bearing the burden and the brunt of sin. And yet Jesus willingly, vicariously suffered, bled, and died for our sins. John would later say in chapter 19, verse 34, that Jesus shed his blood in death. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. Here is the creator because Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. And Jesus was subjected to ridicule and taunts by his own creation. Listen, if you would, to Jesus as he speaks from the cross in verse 34. Words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm convinced that those people in the first century who put the Son of God to death with, as Peter said, wicked and lawless hands, they had no idea what they were doing. The magnitude of what they did to the Son of God. And the Bible says they divided his garments and cast lots. The people stood looking on. Even the rulers with them sneered, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So here's Jesus hanging upon that central cross with you in mind. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross so that we might enjoy the benefits and the blessings of his blood without which we would have no hope. As Paul said, we would be without hope and without God in this world. Now I want to invite you to look at the second cross on Calvary, and this would be the cross of rebellion. On that central cross, you have the cross of redemption, a man dying for sin. On that second cross, the cross of rebellion, you have a man dying in sin. Is there anything worse than dying in sin? Think about all of the tragedies, catastrophic events that have occurred down through history. Contemplate some of the most difficult days that you have ever faced on planet Earth. 
And I assure you, none of those days would equate to dying in sin. Now you say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And He said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot, cut, you cannot come. Eternally cut off, separated from the face of God forevermore. That's what it means to die in sin. And we talk about what it means to live in sin, to die in sin, but does it really register? Do we understand the horrors associated with stepping out into eternity unprepared to meet God because this man was about to step out into eternity unprepared, woefully unprepared to meet his God? And so listen if you would. Luke said when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. One of those criminals made this statement in verse 39. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Now the Bible says he blasphemed Jesus. I asked the question a moment ago, is there anything worse than dying in sin? If there is, I don't know what it would be. The Bible talks in a very candid and forthright way about the choices that we make in life. This man at some point in time got caught up in a life that led to his demise. Now we talk about how we suffer as a result of sin. Physically, emotionally, mentally, but also spiritually. Solomon many, many years ago made this statement about those who choose to live in sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. This man is hanging on a cross on Calvary because he chose to live the life of a thief, a malefactor, a criminal. The choices that you make in life can come back to haunt you. And there's a correlation between the choices that we make and the consequences that we face down the road. So many people in our world today have been blinded by sin. And there are some that have the idea that, some, that sin is outdated old-fashioned, archaic. It's something that preachers have drummed up out of a book called the Bible, but the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. John said whoever commits sin commits lawlessness or iniquity, for sin is the transgression of the law. The word sin literally means a missing of the mark. And so those of us who belong to the human family as a result of choices that we make become sinful, become sinners. This man was a sinner. He was a sinner dying in sin. And so the choices that we make and the consequences that follow, sin so many times makes great promises, but those promises are often turned into pain. Sin offers happiness and brings heartache. Sin, sin says, live your dreams, but those dreams will be turned into destruction. Sin turns blessings into burdens. Some of you here tonight might be suffering because of choices that you've made. Choices that if you had the opportunity to go back and take a different course, you would easily, willingly go back and make those choices. How sad that some folks have the idea that they can beat the system, if you know what I mean. 
And the idea is that they can do what they want, live how they want, say anything they want, and there are no consequences to that. But you need to understand, there is a law called sowing and reaping. And Moses said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, that every seed brings forth after its own kind. If you sow bad seed, I promise you, you will reap a bad harvest. And Paul said it like this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So I want to ask you tonight, as we think about this man on the cross of rebellion, Dying in sin. Is there anything worse than dying outside of Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, there is not. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul talks about those who are outside a covenant relationship with God. And he said they are without hope. This man was dying with no hope. No hope whatsoever. And so the choices that he made brought him to this point in his life. And as we would say, what a sad ending. So many folks in our world today, the gospel is so close. Opportunities for forgiveness are so close. But over and over and over again, the answer is no. I have no idea how often this man might have come into contact with the Lord Jesus prior to his death if he ever even did come into contact with the Son of God. But he does raise the question, if you are the Christ. Jesus asked the question on one occasion, what think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? The Christ simply designating the anointed one, the coming Messiah. The Jews looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They looked forward to him ushering in a kingdom. The only problem was they thought it to be a physical kingdom rather than a spiritual. Because Jesus said before Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were this world, then would my servants fight. Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. So, did this man have the opportunity to hear Jesus firsthand? I do not know. Was he blessed to be in the presence of Jesus as he performed the miraculous again? I do not know. But I know this. If... That opportunity had come his way. The decision he made, the Lord's not for me. So he rejected him. So we have the cross of redemption. The man dying for sin. The cross of rebellion. A man dying, a man dying in sin. But there is a third cross. That third cross is the cross of repentance. And on this cross we have a man dying to sin. Now think about it for a minute. On that central cross, you have the cross of redemption, a man dying for sin. On the other cross, the cross of rebellion, a man dying in sin. On the third cross, the cross of repentance, a man dying to sin. So you ask the question, how do you know that? How do you know that this man on this, uh, on this third cross was willing to die to the love and the practice of sin? Well, pick up with me if you would. And note what is said in verse 40. In verse 39, the Bible said of one of the thieves, the one who was on the cross of rebellion, that he had blasphemed Jesus and that he had said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. 
But the other thief said, and the Bible says he rebuked him, Do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation. Now listen to what he says in verse 40. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But he said of Jesus, this man has done nothing amiss. Don't you think he saw something different in Jesus? Something that set him apart from other people. In verse 42, this man makes a humble request. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want to just pause there for a minute because as you look at this third cross, the cross of repentance, here's a man who is willing to die to the love and the practice of sin, recognizing that in Jesus there is something very, very special. Don't you find it interesting and noteworthy that he speaks of the kingdom? How did he know anything about a kingdom? The Bible tells us that John the Baptist began his earthly ministry preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, as you well know, was the forerunner to the Christ. And his role was to point people in the direction of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, to literally prepare the hearts and minds of people to be receptive to the Christ. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus began his public ministry, that he preached the very same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 4, 17. And Jesus said regarding this spiritual institution that there would be some standing who would not see death until they saw the kingdom of God come with power. So it is probable that this man had heard something about the kingdom of God. I would imagine that he in all likelihood, had heard something about John the Baptist in his work. It might have been the case that he had heard John the Baptist preaching. Who's to say that he hadn't heard Jesus preach? Who's to say that this man had not seen the miracles that Jesus performed? The text doesn't tell us, and I'm just surmising, but I know this. As he stared death in the face, he recognized that Jesus was someone different, and he calls him Lord. And he said, Lord, I want you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded by saying to him, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, we're going to die. When we die, our spirit is going to be carried or borne over by the angels of God into the Hadean realm. And the realm of the righteous dead identified as Paradise, the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16. Now there are a lot of folks in our world today that are quick to look at Luke chapter 23. And oftentimes when you talk about salvation and the importance of New Testament baptism, folks are quick to point out the thief on the cross. And sometimes they'll ask the question, what about the thief on the cross? Well, what about the thief on the cross? Do you think it's possible, if not probable, that this man might have been baptized according to to the teaching of John the Baptist. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3 that then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all around the river Jordan went out to John the Baptist and the Bible says they were baptized by him confessing their sins. Do you think it's possible that this man might have been baptized by John the Baptist? Possibly. Some people look at the thief on the cross 
And they want to use the events that occurred 2,000 years ago to simply say, you don't have to be baptized. Well, this man may have been baptized. I do not know. But then secondly, I want you to think about this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus had the, had the ability, the authority, the power to forgive sins. Where? On earth. But then there is a third thing that we ought to consider. And I think really this is something that a lot of folks miss. And that is when we talk about the importance and essentiality of New Testament baptism. The events that occurred on Calvary occurred under what law? The law of Moses. And the Bible tells us that that law has been nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 2 at verse 14. And Paul said, God has taken that covenant out of the way. And Jesus today is the mediator of the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. And the way Jesus legislates today is through his inspired word. We call it the Bible. And it was Jesus who said many, many years ago, prior to ascending to heaven, going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. To say that New Testament baptism is not essential to the salvation of the souls of people is to deny the very words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. Jesus also said in Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus prefaced that by saying, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Peter and the other apostles had been given the keys to the kingdom of God. As Jesus promised in Matthew 16, verse 19, Pentecost Day, they took those keys and opened the doors to the kingdom of God. When those people who were present on Pentecost in Jerusalem heard the gospel for the first time, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. And they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles and they wanted to know, what, what do we need to do? And Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. So to deny the essentiality of being baptized into Christ so that we might be saved, is to repudiate what Jesus said. It is to dishonor what the Apostle Peter and the other apostles said. And Saul, the apostle who was identified by Jesus as that chosen vessel, when he was called on the road to Damascus, the Lord told him it would be, the Lord said to him it would be told him what he needed to do. When Ananias arrived, he said to Saul, Why why do you tarry? What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This man, this man recognized that Jesus was different and he was willing to die to sin. I want to just say this very quickly. New Testament baptism is not only Christ-centered, it is cross-centered. And when we look at what God has said in his word. The Bible is very, very clear, very plain. There's only one way to become a child of God. We have to hear the gospel. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We are instructed to walk by faith and not by sight. 
to repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3, confess his name before others, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and to be immersed in water so that all of our sins can be washed away. Look at those three crosses. The cross of redemption, the man dying for sin. The cross of rebellion, the man dying in sin. The cross of repentance, the man dying to sin. In life, prior to obeying the gospel, the Bible says we're lost. And the only hope we have is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Aren't you grateful that Jesus died for our sins? That he was buried, raised again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and the Bible says he's coming again. So, how would you identify yourself? Would you align yourself with the cross of rebellion? Would you say, it's time to come home. Time to turn my life over to God. To do what this man did centuries ago. To repent. To give your life to the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love